Hello, welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. We're bringing together the best gaming leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Melanie and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the gaming industry. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Erasmus, Felix, and Loik, and I'll let them introduce themselves to the people. Uh, Loik, if you want to start. Hey, uh, I'm Loik. Uh, I am a former head of communication for Products Interactive in Stockholm. I've uh, been working in uh, communication and community in games for the past decade. Uh, previously at Ubisoft, where I worked a lot with uh, in general question and working to support collaboration and sharing among the various team of this uh, very large company. And I've been the past couple of years in, in, in Stockholm at Products, uh, working with the extended communication field as head of communication, so with community communication, PR, events, and so on. Uh, and yeah, currently uh, in between job and parental leave and taking some time to participate in those podcasts. Lovely. Rasmus? Hello, I'm Rasmus. Uh, I'm currently working at uh, Tilden Interactive, and I've, I have been doing that for the past decade. Um, Historically, I've been working with design mostly, but I'm currently transitioning more into a creative director role uh, at the company. Um, yeah, I've mostly been on the same studio for most of my career, so uh, excited to hear like more points of view from the industry through this, through this show. Cool beans. Uh, and Felix? Uh, my name is Felix. I, I am art director at Arrowhead, where I've been now for uh, roughly eight years. Uh, I come from a more traditional art background, but I didn't really like art school. Um, and I heard about future games by chance and thought that it would be cool to try out, see if it was fun. Turns out game, the gaming industry is amazing. So I've been doing it ever since. And I started doing my internship at Arrowhead, uh, doing a little bit of everything as a generalist, then moved over to characters for many years. And now it's a year of the uh, art direction. Cool. So now that we know who you guys are, um, let's get cracking with the topic that we have today. So you all have a question related to the evolution of the gaming industry. Um, so I'll work around the room asking each of you to ask your question and give a bit of context to it. Um, and each of, you, each of you will have the chance to give your thoughts on it. So let's start with Rasmus and your question, please. All right. So my question. So I've been working in games for 15 years, maybe. Um, and something that I think has changed a lot, uh, this could be personal or in the industry as a whole, uh, is like the, the attitude towards, uh, crunch culture in general, um, and how, how we see and feel, uh, how that have changed over the years and as the, the, uh, industry has matured basically, or if it hasn't changed, maybe, uh, so I would like to have everyone's point of view on that basically. Was that the entire question? Yeah, I think it was. So, Felix, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, and 
yeah, I I definitely not don't think that it's glorified, and I think I would take it as a a warning sign if it if I felt that it was. Uh, I think I mean over time it does happen, but it's not something that I see any studio strive for or like take pride in in a way that I think or saw like back in the day when I was a student. So it's not that long ago, but then. Like it's a passion-driven uh, industry, and it it felt like companies sometimes used employees' passion to sort of get them to work harder. And there was like a, you should want to do this. It's this is an amazing opportunity. That kind of mentality. Uh, but I I haven't seen that in many years, uh, and I think it's yeah like the the industry has grown both in size and maturity. The people that was here from the start are starting to have families. There are like more people coming into the industry with a broader background. So I think that that kind of mentality is going <laughs> out, I think. Um, yeah, no, I, I think um, there has clearly been a shift of consensus on this. And what was once the norm has really shifted, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's been what, maybe a decade is starting to shift. But like, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, uh, it was sort of, the norm that you you would have crunch time you would have like unplanned over time and stuff like that and and there was definitely like sort of the romanticize things around it like making it this like very uh browserly time of like high efforts together for the good of the project and so on and i think like the i would say the most toxic like way to do this as clearly like almost disappeared or is at least like lost so much by people in the industry that you don't really see see it happening like i don't think it doesn't exist anymore like i mean because it we know planning is complicated with product and so on you're gonna have time where you have to pull potentially some extra effort and so on but it's very clearly become something that people like don't present as a norm anymore right and which is i mean most likely a good thing because the the sort of extreme of this culture at some point where obviously like i mean there is a number of articles and so on that have documented like how bad it has it has been in some areas i think what's gonna be interesting as the as the norm has shifted now and and, and i would say people especially looking for job and like in, in, in recruitment and so on like most companies advertise we don't crunch people looking for job are gonna see like any like uh risk of this happening as a very big deterrent for them to choose a company and so on. So I think what's going to be interesting as a, as a norm evolve is like, are we going to see companies being like, actually, we do crunch and we do think it's cool because it's sort of like what was once being the rubble was being like, yeah, we don't do that because we're better than it. But maybe you're going to see at some points like companies being like, you know what? We do think it's a thing of fashion. Like we do think we, we, we need to like put the extra effort to make things happen. And that is like punk and cool and so on. And, and I'm very curious to see that. Like it's something that has been observed a bit. Like if you look at all the things that have been happening with Twitter and so on, like I mean, Elon Musk is very big on this. Like you have to put the effort, <laughs> like sleep on the floor and so on. And I mean, sure, it seems a bit extreme, etc. but like, it is sort of like, it is a deviation from the norm. And, and there might be like some people who sort of enjoy that. I am, I don't think we're going to see that happening right away in, in gaming. Like I think the norm is going to settle first, but it's going to be interesting to see how long-term it, it, it really evolves. Because it is true as well that, I mean, unplanned like rush because planning games is so complicated is going to happen, right? So how are, gonna, or are companies going to 
do that? Like, are they going to just pretend it doesn't exist or are they going to like make something out of it? It's sort of interesting to see. Yeah, I, I do agree and hope that it's like a remnant of the past because a long time ago, I think it was sort of a necessary and necessity for like younger companies to survive because it is still a very young industry. And like in the beginning, it was like smaller studios had to crunch to be able to do all the things they had to do in time when there wasn't like as much money in the industry and things like that. Um, <clears throat> like when I got out of school as well, it's not that long ago compared to the, the lifetime of the industry, but we definitely did glorify uh, crunching. Like everyone worked a lot and we also had to because we were one group of students trying to make a game basically. Um, but I feel personally that's changed a lot over the years and I do feel it has changed in the industry as a whole as well. Um, I do still feel it exists. Um, like you hear stories every now and then from, from people in different companies. And even if it's not encouraged, I think it's still appreciated by a lot of uh, employers, for example. Um, and sometimes when you should actually tell people to work less, because a lot of people still work extra hours, I feel, uh, either because they want to, or because they feel they have to, to keep up with their schedules and stuff. Um, and I don't think like everyone like shuts it down when it's starting to look unhealthy. Like it might not even be unhealthy in the short run, but in the long term, it's not going to work out in a lot of cases, I think on a, on an individual level at least. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And I think it's, it's up to the, like the people leading the companies to enact that change because like I, for one, very easily fall into the trap of working too much or doing overtime, even though I like I, I might not have to because I'm working on something. I'm so focused on that thing and I want to get that done and make it really good. But like in the bigger picture, it might not make that big of a difference. Like my effort is more important that I rest and I can focus on something else. Yeah. Like we shift the, the planning or whatever it may be. But that's, if that's hard for uh, like developers and employees to, to see that bigger picture. So it's, it's very important. I think that the leaders yeah. of companies are one. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, I, and I think you put the point on, on something super important is like, yeah, I mean, this happens as well when you're not flowing with, you know, the money, the flexibilities or resources that you can do things properly, because I don't think anyone doubts that. Yeah. On the long term, like this is not a sustainable way to manage teams, to manage a studio, like to manage a project. Right. But it's also like those are easier decisions to make when you have the safety of, you know, good funding, <laughs> good access to resources, like uh, a, a market that is favorable and so on. I think it's also like when the market gets a bit tougher as it is right now when it comes to funding and so on, like you might also see resurgence of, of these issues, right? Because then you have like leadership in companies that might be more of a like, okay, well, we don't want to crunch, but also like we're, we're getting out of money and we need to push this out in the next X months. Right. So what do we do? Right. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a good point of vigilance to have, because I think people, I mean, there is still like enough job on the market that people have the possibility to change. And we've seen like with COVID and so on, that people are going to be eager to, I mean, are going to change job more easily potentially. And I think this is a very easy deal breaker for a lot of employees right and so i think it's going to be interesting like seeing how that evolves because i wouldn't like bury crunch as a problem of the past that we will never have to like deal with again or that will never like become relevant again 
too soon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's... But, but I guess that's also like a difference. Like it's a difference between crunch and overtime. Like overtime might happen. Crunch comes with a whole culture that like this, is, this will happen. Yeah, for sure. Because like we're going to plan so that it, we won't avoid it. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but th that's interesting as well. It's like, because those questions of definition, they're not always like super clear to people in the, in the industry and so on. Like I've had that experience a bit in the past couple of years where like for a lot of people, overtime equals crunch, right? <laughs> uh, when it comes to game, because the term has been so coined and frequent and so on. And it becomes very difficult to be like, no, I mean, especially like in Sweden where we have those flexible hour systems and so on, like in a lot of agreement where you might work overtime and it's sort of baked into your contract. Like those become very complex conversations to have because you're like, no, it is actually not crunch. And people are like, yeah, but I still feel it is and so on. And like, it is a, it is rarely as cut and dry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it can feel like crunch, even if you're not doing overtime, like you just have to yeah. push every minute of the day just to get your, your things done. Like, uh, Gaming, game development is still, I would say like, it's a hybrid between passion work and real work, or whatever you should call it. Like it isn't always easy to just walk out just because times are hard and you have other opportunities because I think, or I, I believe that a lot of people are still super invested in the games they are making. Like they want to finish it and they want to make good products and both to their name, but also because they believe in the passion of the craft basically. No. Uh, so it is, it is very hard sometimes to keep check on both yourself and others to, to make sure that you're... Oh. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it, it's really a management and leadership question at some point, right? Because it's also like, I think we don't want, like no one wants to like ban putting the extra effort, right? Because like, I mean, so many cool features in games, so many cool things like come from that person being like, no, I really want to do that thing. So I'm going to spend time on it. And, and it's like it's not always equal like toxic unhealthiness like right away either right so so you want to have a, a way of managing people and your project that allows for that to exist as well right but yeah. like managing this sort of line in between is very i mean it's very difficult right? and i think it's going to remain a challenge for quite a while yeah uh, it's uh, like you want you want things done to be able to finish the game in time, but you also want to leave room for creativity so that people have time to do the creative things that they want to do on the game. Because it's usually better for everyone in the end, because it usually ends up being a better game with a lot more creativity that went into it. But it is a constant struggle. If a studio, like you just talked about, like studios being honest about crunch. So what do you guys think in terms of if a studio was to come out like during the recruitment process and was like you know we have crunch and and we do you know this, this is just how we do it how do you think that will impact the talent they are able to attract i mean i think it's a direct impact obviously right but like i mean if you're just like yeah we we, we crunch because we believe that's the way great games are made and we don't give a damn about what people think about that like like if you're not passionate enough to join us, don't like, I mean, yeah, it's, you're clearly closing <laughs> the door to some people, right? Like there is no doubt about that, but I think there is also room for studio who have a different take on this and, and who like present it in a certain way, right? Like, I mean, you, you could imagine a studio going like, 
the digital communication person like <laughs> flipping things right but you could you could absolutely imagine the studio being like yeah we we, we have this metadata project we have some plan over time it is compensated in this way and this is how we do it this is like the the structure of it and so on and we prefer being upfront about it this is how it's gonna work it's gonna be compensated this way blah 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 i mean I think you can you can make it work as well, right? Like I don't think it's a model that cannot exist in this industry, right? I think the whole like the, the problem with crunch originally is really the the toxic mix of like guilt tripping people based on their passion and like not being upfront about things. But I think it's still like it's still gonna exist probably in some places. But I definitely think like the studio there is room for someone as I was saying earlier, like twisting that and making themselves being like the different underdog because they decide to do this this way right and it can definitely be attractive to to some people maybe younger people super passionate people or people who have been frustrated with things not moving too fast in previous companies or whatever yeah. i would say like when you reach the part of your life where like you have more importance on work violence being like a parent or whatever like probably not gonna pick those companies right but I don't think it means those companies aren't going to be able to exist. Might be. No, I have a hard time. Yeah. That's, I think that's true as well. I, I think also, like, uh, props to companies that do that. Like, I, I would feel more appeal to that kind of company and, like, that the, they would be upfront and say it. Um, because, like, then I know what I'm getting into. Because I, I do also feel that, like, is there any company saying that, no, no, like, we don't do overtime, like, we're not promoting that, and then overtime comes at a certain point. Like, it, at almost every company, at some point, it does. So, yeah, creds for being upfront about it, I think. Um, and but, but I think also with crunch comes the, like, lack of fair compensation, I guess. Uh, that, like, it's an expectation to work really hard and give it everything work evening or weekends or whatever for, I don't know, pizza or not. Like, it, it's not a fair deal. Like, if it would have been fair, but it's still like we work really hard and we work like, I don't know, six days a week in periods or whatever it may be. Like, we plan for that. Then I think if being upfront about it and compensating it, I think it will definitely still have a place at some companies. Yeah, I agree. That would be interesting uh, because... The worst case is when companies say that they don't do it and then they actually either actually order it or, or give free people for not doing it. Uh, I have a hard time seeing a company like being able to just say, we're going to do crunch, come work for us. But of course they would phrase it differently. Like we only want people that work super hard and we're super passionate and we're going to work extra uh, just to deliver the best thing that you can put in your CV for the future. And they might add extra incentives like we're going to share the revenue, things like that. So. Mm -hmm. There might be a possibility for like a company strategy for that uh, popping up in the future, like a counter reaction to to all the companies leaning more into non-crash behavior. And so that's an interesting take, definitely. All right, cool beans. Uh, now let's move on to Loike and your question. Yeah, um, my, my question was about uh, subscription models. I think I mean it's been one of the big like business evolution in the past couple of years in, in the industry and I think like I mean at least my take is the past two years I've been very much to go to the edge of those models right like super high value for customer obviously like if you think things like game pass is the most popular one so it's the one I'm going to refer to most often but like great customer value you pay a couple of bucks a month you get access to tons of games 
Netflix style, or right? it's really good, but also great value for a lot of developers, right? Like there has been very generous deal, like in inputting a lot of uh, of money in the industry, whether it's through Microsoft, through Epic, also like dealing in exclusive and so on, through Sony, PlayStation, etc. And I'm I'm interested to get other opinion on like where it's headed. I think. A lot of people are from the get-go being like, well, it can't be that good forever, right? Like, once the model is in place, like, how good is it actually going to be? And we see the change of those models, like in music, movies, and so on as well, right? So I, I'm really wondering, and also with the general economic situation in mind and so on, like, how do we see that evolving in the next couple of years? Like, was that golden age like a short thing and it's gonna become like less interesting maybe either for the customer for the company like or like do, do we have still like high belief that this model is gonna dominate like in the next couple of years i'm i'm, I'm super curious of getting others opinion about it uh maybe starting with phoenix i i mean in my experience like personal experience as a gamer i i love it <laughs> and i don't think that it's going away i think it's uh, and I like the biggest pro to me is that the the incentive to try new games is so much uh, bigger because the cost is so much lower. Like I buying a, a new, uh, and it's the same for movies. Uh, like buying a movie or watching something that I have available on like HBO or Netflix. Like I'm probably gonna choose something that I already have over most other things because like of convenience. So I, like I think it it might be very good for like especially indie studios. Uh, to to make use of it because like they might get more exposure uh, to to more people. Um, but I also think that the like the downside I guess with games versus movies is just like the available content. Like if you if I pay monthly, I want to be able to play games that I want to play, and if they're not there, I'm not gonna use it. Uh, and with the movies, I guess I'm less picky because like it's I don't know two hours or something like that or one episode of a show and then I don't continue to watch it but with games it feels more like an investment so I think it's people are or at least I feel way more picky about it but it's still like buying a game for like 400 or 600 it feels it's, it's steep for me so I think subscription models are are perfect like you get a sneak peek on what's going on you try some few, few things you don't have to feel bad if you don't like it it's like you didn't pay much for it anyways so I think it's here to stay. Yeah, I would uh, agree. Like uh, subscription models as a concept is probably gonna stay. Like buying a full price game is a hurdle for a lot of people, and even more so for younger generations with less money. Um, so I think it's gonna continue in some some way. I think battle passes has been the latest fab in this type, uh, and I think that is working out pretty well. Um, we'll see. If, like there is probably two potential paths. One is where it's gonna be like even more intensive such uh, models, I guess. Um, and also like all the retention mechanics baked into it, like really makes players spend more time in the game and buy more things, like all those dailies and weeklies and things like that, binds together with a battle pass. Um, either like the market as a whole will be okay with that and it's just not gonna escalate into faster and faster loops, I guess. But personally, I'm hoping for like a counter reaction because uh, it is very stressful, like having to complete this every day and that every day and this every week and things like that. And the battle pass ends every day and you want the top reward, etc. Um, I think a lot of like older gamers see through it a little bit more because um, they, I like 
have more experience in, in that type of systems. Like you see, like this is just made to make me play the game more. Uh, and at that point, you, like you still have this, like, I don't know what it is, like primal drive to want to complete your dailies, even though you know that like this doesn't give me anything. You want to like check that box, it's going to stay in your head for the entire day. Um, and I think that can be very stressful to a lot of people. And especially like the more you see through it, the more stressful it is somehow. As I, I'm hoping personally for a counter reaction from the market where you sort of move away from that and like it can still be battle passes, but they they aren't time limited. For example, you do them whenever you want to do them. They're gonna stay around, and there's not gonna be like missed content because you didn't play this game for that week. So you're never gonna get your favorite skin and things like that. So I'm hoping for that counter reaction, but we'll see if it ever happens. Yeah, I think that's really super interesting. The like thinking of like like larger subscription service like game pass style and and then like games like bigger games even small games now having like subscription with battle pass and so on what's interesting to me is like those two systems like sort of pull each other apart right like on one side you have your netflix of games where you're encouraged to like try a ton of things but but then at the same time once you enter a game that game is like please play me only <laughs> yeah. me and like <laughs> invest uh, invest in this like and uh, and and like don't don't look at the other right so so I'm very curious to see like I mean what what, what wins and also like I mean clearly it's gonna be a different path I guess between like big AAA like massive product of entertainment and like smaller indie games right but uh, but I have a hard time seeing like how like, where do we find the balance points in there, right? Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's going to be harder for indie devs as well, because, like, younger generations are uh, tend to be more uh, picky and less, like, okay with bugs or things not being, like, if something is not perfect, then they're like, what is this? And then they move over to something else. And if they have already a bunch of games available to them, they're, like, why stick with that game one while they have so many others? And if you buy one game, that's the one game you have, then you're gonna finish every like everything <laughs> with that game. So there is definitely a, a risk, I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, what's been interesting with uh, with like like smaller games and smaller experience with like I've been much more open since, for example, I was subscriber for Game Pass. Like I've been super open to try smaller experience, even not for super long. Like it has changed a bit the way I approach some games, right? And whereas before you I was very much like I mean a lot of players you still see those tendencies in communities online. Like I've paid for that game. I want X amount of entertainment out of my money for this. Like add uh, add tons of meaningless like additional quests to give me my worth, right? <laughs> I have paid 40 bucks. I want like 80 hours of content nowadays we game pass i'm like psyched someone to play a game that lasts 90 minutes i'm like this was super great like i had a good time it was a cool story or it was a cool simple concept or whatever i played it it was fun that's perfect right so i'm like i love that this allows for those games to to exist because i know on steam like it was more complex because you had people being like well if your game is less than two hours and people are gonna refund it so when they've it because it's below like steam marks to refund the game right so i love that this works but i'm also like if there is only those games on those big game pass thing like there is no way that microsoft is gonna pay like big money right, to the studio for this like at some point it's gonna become like less and less interesting deal right? so yeah i'm uh, i'm very i'm very curious to see where it lands because yeah at the same time as you said with 
with Game Pass, you get things like, yeah, if you're playing Call of Duty, like you, you don't have no time to play anything else. Like you, 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 you're constantly running after like the current season, not missing anything. Right? Like I know I'm playing like a lot of uh, Marvel Snap right now. And it's like, I mean, at least it's not too time consuming, but I still have the thing like, ah, if I don't play today, like I'm going to miss some of the bonus of this month and then I'm going to start lagging behind and so on. So yeah, it's a weird relationship having those two opposing forces at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you rationalize and see it through it, it's something there that's always drawing you back for some reason. Like when you play a game, even though you actually don't want to play it, that's probably the time you should install that game. <laughs> but, but like all those retention mechanics, they are so well designed, so it just keeps happening. And yeah, and I think premium prices would probably stay in some way because in the game sort of need them to survive, I think. Uh, because they can't rely on on critical mass in the same way as bigger titles, uh, because they need some some direct payment, uh, because it's usually shorter experience as well. Uh, but I think like AAA games are, I wouldn't be surprised if they all go into like free to play model with some sort of of uh, oh, uh, battle pass or, or subscription model of some type. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be so sure as well because when you see like the, the PlayStation games, for example, like they have like increased the price point for like the, the, the bigger one, like stuff like God of War, Horizon and so on, like all their big, big titles, like they're very exclusive and so on. Like they're on pretty steep price point now. And I mean, they're still selling millions, right? <laughs> like, so, 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 so I wonder like, you know, it's a bit like, oh, there is the latest Avenger movie out. I, I want to see it in like IMAX with like everything. And I'm going to pay like 30 bucks for my movie ticket because I want the, I know this is going to be a huge show. So I want the big, big experience, right? I mean, yeah. there is still room for that. But it's interesting to see on one side, Microsoft being like, yeah, all the allos, like you get them for free with Game Pass. Don't even think about it. You're, you're good. <laughs> and on the other side being like, what? 80 bucks for Ryzen? Oof, that's... <laughs> that's it a bit... Can't be like... For a lot of people, like, the game passes are coming and, like, people can get, play their game for, for much less if they just pay every month. And it's also going to be, like, the... the uh, how you see buying things in general because of Netflix and how mobile uh, games usually work. Like, you don't pay them up front, usually. Uh, so I think <laughs> if you grow up in a society where everything is free except for, for AAA games that cost a lot of money. I think it's going to look weird why it costs so much money when everything else is free, when it's actually not, but it's going to look like it's free. So I'm not sure if that's going to like just be the, the uh, like how monetization is made in general and that's going to impact the game industry a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, cool beans. Uh, then finally, Felix, go ahead with your question. So... Yeah, I'm guessing no one has missed the the leaps of AI, especially over the the last six months. Uh, both like uh, creating images, and we have uh, like Chat GPT and all all the other stuff. Uh, so, Erasmus, is this something that you currently are working with? And uh, how do you think? It, like, what, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have uh, on the industry? Um, I think it's good that this is the last question because it's. A lot of room to discuss this. <laughs> yeah. I've been talking a lot with uh, Brent and other people about uh, this topic. Uh, a lot of people are concerned because it's going to take jobs away from people. Uh, I am very optimistic about it. Uh, we're not using it that much internally yet, depending on how you see it. Like the, the the line between tools and AI is a bit blurry, and I think 
AI is going to be a tool that we use to create things like I don't think it's going to replace most of the jobs, uh, even though it might, you might need fewer artists, for example, because you can have a few artists that are really good at directing AI to help them. Um, and I think like, it's not only art, it's going to be all the disciplines in, in game development. I still think you're going to need the disciplines in, in the company just to be able to use the AI effectively and as good as possible. But I definitely think it's going to be a big thing in game development moving forward. And I think everyone should be ready for it. Uh, and I think it's really cool as well. It's going to help us to do a lot of like generated art and uh, like you procedural designs that we couldn't imagine. Like everything in the game is going to be new every time you start it and things like that. But it's going to be super cool. Uh, but I do think we need to be a bit cautious in how we treat it in the workplace because we can't just have it replace everyone because uh, it's going to have a big counter reaction in, in the company. So I think if that makes sense. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's a, as you say, it's a, it's a huge one. It's good to a room board discussion, right? Like I'm, um, I, I agree with you on the point that I think the, the, the key thing is that it is going to be a tool, right? I think people will see it as, oh, the AI is going to do this now. I think it's a bit like, I mean, I don't think we're necessarily there yet. And I think it's rarely going to be as simple or rather like when we are at the point where we can just tell the AI, like make a game, please. And it, and it makes a game like we, we will have had otherworldly problem because of the prevalence of AI, right? Like it, it's a, it's a, it's another like whole other scary level of like protection. But, but I think definitely like the, the strength of it is like, how does it provide with tools that can like reinforce support, help other disciplines? Like I, uh, in my, already in my field in, in communication with ChatGPT, I see more and more people using it, for example, to like, you know, get a first draft, like you need to do a press release, like US ChatGPT, like give me a first draft for that. And then you still do the editing and so on, because you, you, you're gonna, I mean, the, the, the models are still cool too predictive that you're going to miss some things like if you if you just trust it entirely but it is already something that can save you like tons of time right and like i've seen like artists i mean felix you're going to talk much more about that <laughs> obviously it's your field right but i've seen that like at, at, at previous companies and so on that they start to use that a lot to, like as a starting point right like you need concept art you need something fast then cool mid journey can provide you that uh, but I've seen very, very few people being like, oh, we can just use that as an end product. Uh, I think there are still like tons of problems with that. I mean, ethical problems, but also very practical ones, right? And I'm not talking about like, oh, this has a wrong number of fingers. And like, that's <laughs> sort of not a big deal, but other thing, like getting consistency, like, yeah, like really being able to like reproduce the same thing and, and like create like, Whole art direction for your game using AI is quite complex, right? Like, we're, I don't think we're there yet, and hopefully, we're maybe not there ever <laughs> to the point that it can entirely replace us. But I think it's definitely going to be a bit of a of a game changer. I think, like, like with a lot of those things, I would say it's generally the the very boring use that tend to be the bigger game changer rather than the than the fancy one, right? Like, I mean, we had, we had the same issue with like. Are not issue, but the same challenge with the blockchain technology and all of that, like before with games, where people are like, oh, it's going to change everything on that. And I think like the people who've been smart about this, I've all been like, the use that is probably going to be the most impactful is not the obvious one we think of right now. It's the one that is going to emerge in like one year or two, 
when people actually start using that to do something very boring <laughs> and very lame, but it's actually going to suddenly like save like dozens of hours for everyone. And, and I think that we're really at this stage, right? I think none of the obvious use right now are going to be the one that are going to be like a priority shift. But I think probably we're going to get someone being like, oh, I use it this way. We've cut like yeah. processing time for that by that much. Or like, oh, we use that in testing and like suddenly like or or QA work has been simplified by that, right? It, it's not the fancy like, oh, your it, the AI is gonna make the skins for your game, right? Yeah, I, or maybe it, it might be right, but I think what's interesting is keeping an eye on those things, right? The, the less obvious that are gonna actually be the the big impactful things, right? That's that's exactly how I would want it to be as well. Like automate or help me with the things that is boring mundane just takes a lot of time it's basically like the the potential is like everyone having an assistant that can help them with like organizing their work getting a first draft uh, speeding up a lot of different processes and i like i i think that ai is here to stay like I, there is no no turning back uh and i it's gonna have a huge impact on, on all of our work and um, hopefully for the better and i think in in many cases it will but I am also very worried, like in general, about how it's going to be used and like, will it be used ethically right? Like not just in the gaming industry, like in society as a whole, of course. Um, and I think that the, the potential for it is so massive. And I think it's like, we're sort of in a, like a honeymoon phase still where we're being awed about like the potential and like, oh, it's so good that uh, generating pictures or text or like it, it can do so much, but I think it's like, I don't think that we have seen all the risks <laughs> with it uh, yet. So I definitely think that we should be very cautious about how uh, how we use it. Uh, and like, I don't know, I'm I'm very impressed about the tech uh, uh, that I've seen so far. I'm just worried about how how it's going to be used. And I haven't used it, should I say as well. Uh, professionally, I haven't used it. Uh, I've been using it like just for my own sake, uh, uh, experimenting with uh, Midjourney and GPT-3 and 4. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as a starting point, I think it's the, the, the process, like getting something that is useful, uh, is so fast. Like you can get something that you can like a st good starting point in a few minutes, uh, and you, it's easy for anyone to use. So you don't have to have an artistic background. So people that don't have an artistic background can still express themselves with images, which is going to make, I think, communication a lot easier. And I mean, there is also like, you can customize the tool. So it's actually, um, like it keeps consistent with style and quality. And I think that's going to be like one of the main, uh, sort of the factors in making it actually be a tool rather than sort of take the creative reins and decide, make the decisions for you rather than like what we really want, which is like, do this more of this, but in this specific style, which I think is for that it's super useful. But, and as an art person, like, what's your concern in terms of the, the impact on, like, jobs, right? I mean, because there is definitely one. Yeah. Maybe not for all type of art specialties, right? But I think, like, concept artists, for example. I mean, yeah, really I, direct impact, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's, like, there there are two parts, like, two answers to that question, I feel. Like, first off, I, like, I don't really feel that 
concerned about people losing their jobs. I think that the jobs will change, like how you do your job will change. Like now you're going to have to learn how to use AI to create your content so that you're faster. And I mean, people are using Google and kit bashing and referencing pictures before. So like mm. there aren't that many artists making a painting or a, a concept absolutely from scratch using 3d to get perspective or like blocking out shapes yeah. like i think if, it, if we use it like that it's all good uh i think the danger of it is that people will use it like uh, the the tool is not creative in itself right it's it's just referencing pitch, pictures mm -hmm. and i think after a while after the sort of the honeymoon phase with it is over it's going to start feeling very generic. Like it's, it's look good looking at the same pictures. Like a lot of the stuff that I've seen from mid journey, for example, yeah. it's impressive, but it's, everything looks very similar. Um, and I think that it's relying too much on it can sort of foster a kind of a, this is good enough mentality and create sort of lazy <laughs> developers, if you will. Um, and I think that like, it's so important with the like iterating on something and like getting your foundations right. And if you get something delivered to you in very high detail and very nicely executed, um, I think that might model your decision-making, making it feel like, oh, this is like, this is dumb. This is, oh, this is so cool. But actually like that, maybe the composition is wrong, but you're like, ah, this is good enough. Like it's, yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, I guess I, I went on, off on a, on a tangent there, but I do think that there is still definitely place for uh, a lot of people to continue, but I think that people will have to work with it. It's the same with photogrammetry, right? When that came out, a lot of yeah. artists were worried that like, now I'm not going to have a job or I'm just going to be like a tech person. That wasn't the case at all. Like people have, sure, the tools has changed, but there's still a need for more artists. Like the industry is just growing and growing. So uh, yeah, I have a hard time seeing it replace people completely. Uh, but if you don't like working with new tools, then I think it's a, uh, it's uh, dangerous. Yeah, definitely. Or dangerous, but like, yeah. I think there will be like interesting ways to mitigate the uh, the concern about the AI or becoming too generic. Like you can feed it with your own R style or a specific R style. I think like that. I think people will come up with a lot of interesting ways to use the AI. Um, I think it is gonna threaten some jobs. I think like most uh, game development studios, like I think the composition is gonna be pretty much the same. Only that people can use AI to do a lot of the more grindy work. I think outsourcing studios, for example, might have a harder time uh, because it's their job in a lot of cases that's going to be replaced uh, by AI. Uh, so those those studios uh, could could be in for a few rough years, probably. Um, um, and I think you also touched some of the more ethical concerns, like what art can be used uh, as a foundation for the AI. Like, I don't know exactly how they currently work, if they just uh, skim Google or whatever, uh, but a lot of them use a lot of art from other people, and I can understand that that is frustrating to a lot of people having their, like, a small part of this AI artwork is their artwork originally, uh, basically. Even if it's not pixel by pixel, it's like their work that is banning to do, coming up with these shapes and stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time, like, it's, like, it, it's definitely one of my main concerns as well. Like, maybe not copyright specifically, but like, who like compensation or credit for the the material that it that it used but at the same time like you as an artist or as a, or a creator in general like you you if you create music or images whatever it is like you look at others people's work you get inspired you copy you yeah. modify like it's basically the same it's the, the 
the difference I think is that it's so binary. Like it's it's exactly something else combined with something else. Like it's there's no sort of thoughts behind it, which yeah. I think is the yeah, the problematic part with it. Yeah. I think one of one of the interesting aspects with this is like, I mean, if you think about like AI as tool, and I mean there is a lot of thing around the, the keyword AI, right? It's like what you know, it's a usual joke of like, oh, it's all statistics at the end of the day, right? It's like, is it really intelligence or is it just like very, very good at combining numbers? And I think like, if you look from the angle of like, have we been using tools to like automatize something in, in the art field and so on? Like, this is not something new in the industry. Like, um, procedural generation has been there for quite a while, right? Like, uh, you, you have entire games who have like most of their environment. I mean, I've been working with a lot of people working specifically on that at Ubisoft who have been like pioneering a lot in the open world in that field. And it's, it's like, I mean, there is still some arts, some art people work on it, like huge amounts, but it's also like, they are not generating every tree, mountain, character, car, and so on as an individual thing that has been hand painted by a 3D artist, right? Like a lot of this is like already procedurally generated. And I think definitely like it's an acceleration in this field. It's not as new as it feels. I think it feels new because the the way to use a tool has been democratized so brutally with ChatGPT, right? It's like the system already existed, but now you have an interface that allows you to be like, please draw me something, and it does it. I mean, I personally, um, I do a lot of TTRPG, and I use that to do like character arts, like scene arts, and so on, like just for, I mean, for my private campaigns with friends and so on. But for this, like as someone who can't draw a stick figure myself, this is an incredible tool, right? And that use is completely new. Like the only alternative to that before me, Jordi and ChatGPT was like commission someone to do a drawing for you, right? And which I wouldn't have done, right? It's not as if I was like stealing the job from someone. I was not gonna commission individually like <laughs> pictures for all the NPC in my TGRPG campaign, right? But I think that's what makes it feel so new to to a lot of people. I think still we can't undermine the the the, the impact on like the industry and jobs and so. I mean the jobs are gonna transfer, but also some of them are gonna disappear. I mean I don't think there is like a studio except if you are really want to make a point of it. No studio is doing their pitch deck without using Pitchorni right now, right? Like no one is commissioning an artist to be like, oh, this is a picture of what the environment gonna look like. Like everyone is gonna use Pitchorni for. Especially if you're indie and small and like you have limited fund, like this is a fantastic tool for this kind of use, right? So there is definitely like some job opportunities disappearing there, but I think it's not new, right? Like all the changes, all the automation that have been happening in terms of field, like it always has this kind of impact. It also creates some new thing as well. So, I mean, from the game perspective, I think it's it's definitely something transformative happening. I don't think it's the most obvious thing that are going to be the most impactful but it can't be underestimated but also it's been there for a while <laughs> like it hasn't started with mid-journey like six months ago i think it could be one of the more impactful steps we've had in many yeah. years like it has been stagnating a bit uh, in the tech like tech tools development uh, area uh but we have been like many times in the past we've been through similar uh, revolutions like in how things are done and short term, it can be injuring uh, to a lot of people, but in the end, I think it's just going to effectivize how we develop games and probably less man hours will be required to make the same uh, output content. But uh, if that, if 
the end result is that people can work shorter work hours and still get the same games done. I think it's an overall positive as long as we get through that change without people getting too hurt, basically. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I don't think that people will want to get the same games done but with and spend less time on it. I think it's just going to be more and more... Uh, like, they want to do bigger things in that case. I think if you have the means, you're not going to stop at like, oh, actually, I'm good. We, I don't want more. Like, a lot of people, I think, is going to just want to, to push it further and further. I think that's what's sort of driving the whole evolution forward. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think if you look like, I mean, we have a prime example in, in Stockholm, like Ubisoft Stockholm, they've announced like a couple of months ago, like Scalar, the, the tech they work on, which is, I mean, it doesn't have the, the AI keyword on it and so on, but this is very much about like, in that case, cloud to generate like more environment and allowing for bigger thing. And I think every time those things happen, those technological leap, it's always like, okay, we can do more now. <laughs> We're going to do bigger and yeah. bigger. I think the, the risk is like, as you said, like, is it going to be more, but more generic, generic stuff, right? Like, and I think there has been a lot of critique on that. Like, it's like, cool, we have bigger game, but if it's like the same daily quest on all of them and, you know, the, the more of open world environments will look the same, like it doesn't really, is it really worth it? I think what's going to be interesting is I wouldn't be surprised if we see some game studio coming once again, like we've been talking a lot about counter reaction to thing and going more like, okay, this is a indie game that is super like handcrafted and like super beautiful and absolutely original and we make that a key setting point. Like I'm thinking of like a game right now, like uh, Dordogne from Focus Interactive, that is very much this kind of like pastel and drawn, like beautiful things, very unique in its style and so on. Like you can't redo really it, but also if you look in movies, like the all the Ghibli movies that are very much like all the Miyazaki movies, like not using uh, like modern technique. We want to still do it like by hand because we get a different render and so on, and it's hard to imitate. I think it's going to be interesting to see those things emerge as well, because I think they definitely will. There will be the sort of like stamp of like AI-free game, like <laughs> sourced and hand-grown like in our garden, right? Yeah. But that was going to be my question, because I read an article fairly recently where there's sort of a suggestion that certain studios, and I don't think it was in like Stockholm, I think it might have been more in America, but that studios were actually coming out and saying that like we, like we're banning the use of AI like in our company. What's your guys' opinion on that? I mean, that's our stance at the moment. Like, we're not using AI because I think we're not sure about how we can and should use it. So we're being, like, cautious with it. But I think that's a... I think it's a knee-jerk sort of reaction to, like, seeing potential risks. I think over time it's going to be, like... You're going to see use cases where it's like, oh, well, naturally we're going to want to use it for procedural generation or analytics or QA testing or identifying bugs or whatever it might be. Like, I think it's going to be sort of <laughs> coming into to the bigger gaming studios as well, but not as a, like, here, everyone go use it in whatever way you want. And mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it can be a healthy reaction for now, just to see how, how things pan out. But I think in the long run, I think few companies are going to do that because it's just going to be a very powerful tool that you should use so you're not going to be competitive. Uh, of course, I could be smaller if in the studios that sort of do it as a thing, like everything here is handcrafted. Um, but that's, that's gotta be like a small niche, I think, for a very specific target audience. Yeah, I, I very much agree with everything Rasmus said. I think 
I think it's a key thing right now to to point that I think it's a healthy reaction as well. Like it's definitely important to to have a pushback on being like, cool, this looks powerful and all, but like, what are the implications? What does it mean? Like, because it's also what's going to be like the, the legal framework around this, right? Like there are tons of like question that needs to be raised before people like all swarm in that and then have like, I don't know, the EU regulating something on copyright that suddenly like make the whole pyramid crumble, right? So, so I think it's super important that right now people are careful about it and sort of like start dipping in it slowly. But I would absolutely agree that long term, it's like, I mean, it's not that people are going to be like, oh, we're using AI for this. It's like they're using the tool they've always used. But now in the background, there are those algorithms, those systems like powering. And this already exists with dozens, hundreds of tools in the industry, right? Like it's just like not everyone branded it as AI or ChatGPT or whatever, right? Like, I mean... Right now, you see a lot of people being like, this is powered by ChatGPT, like, because it is a trendy thing. But the reality is, like, those automation process, like, they've existed for quite a while. Like, in testing, for example, like, it's been years that, like, people test their multiplayer game by having boats running random games over and over overnight to, to, to like, do some bug testing and some balance testing and so on. Like, I mean, you could brand that as like AI power testing and make something very fancy out of it. It's the same technology, right? It's just how you brand it as well. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be like saying like, oh, we do video games without the use of nuclear electricity. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you can sort of like say it, but still like on the, at the end of the day, on the back of things, like it's, it's still there, right? Like you, it's going to be sort of an avoided. Cool. Before, before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thank you very much to all of our guests uh, for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. So once again, we've had Felix from Arrowhead, uh, Rasmus from Toadman and Loic from Paradox. If you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message as well. I'm Melanie and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at melanie.lindsay at evolution-nordics.com or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com slash se. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you for listening and hope you can join us again next time.